Previously on Cortex. What I did and what I was kind of alluding to is this thing where I have spent a very significant part of January breaking down the entirety of how do I work? What are my systems around work? How do I use task management? How do I organize notes? Breaking down absolutely everything to nothing and starting over. You've got the voice for that. That was really good. You should look into that. I swear to God, I would do voiceover work if I could. Would you? I really would. It seems, it seems great. Shall I try it as well? Yeah, you go ahead. Previously on Cortex. Mm. Oh, I should maybe try it with the American accent. I think it works better with the American accent, right? Can you do it with an American accent? Shall I see? Let's see what happens. Previously on Cortex. No, that is terrible. That's Previ- not an American accent at all. Previously on Cortex. This is getting worse. You need to abort, Mike. <laughs> I just end up just moving further and further south down my American accent attempt. Yeah, your first go was the best, and your last go was the worst. All right, well, at least we know the two of us who do the voiceover work when it's time for the movie. <laughs> so, yeah, last time, mm-hmm. you spoke a little bit about the fact that you had decided to go bare bones with your task management, mm-hmm. break everything down, go to a, a new unmentioned location mm-hmm. somewhere um, in England, I suppose. And, or ma- I don't know, maybe you went to the continent. Who knows? I was in an undisclosed location in Finoscandia that my wife sent me to. <laughs> of course you were. Of course you were. <laughs> <laughs> She knows me. She knows me very well. Hey, yeah. She was like, hey, buddy. It's time to start making some money again. <laughs> you need to get out of the house and you need to reboot. <laughs> so you, you were flown off to a faraway land and, and you, uh, you broke everything down and you started over for your review of the year and you did it on pen and paper, which is, which is very different to the, to the usual gray way, right, of, of uh, iPads and, 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 and the like, you know, the, mm-hmm. that we believe in. So you decided to break it all down. And I wanted to kind of touch on this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you first realize that pen and paper was a good system to kind of do a, a, a retooling of your task management? Okay, Mike, we need to... We need to rewind all the way back to a childhood gray. Oh, wow. A little, little gray from a long time ago. My father is a lawyer, and he's always had around the house these legal pads ever since I was a little kid. And they have always been a thing that I would, like, sketch on and, and write on and always felt like a like an external thinking tool like how, how do i think i need to write something down e- ever since i was a little kid this is always a thing that i have done and throughout my life as i have transitioned from various tools and different ways of working i have always been aware that there there is something that is just different about paper that is really helpful in some scenarios and when i was a teacher i ran my whole system entirely on paper because i found that that was actually the best tool 
to solve the problem that I was trying to solve at that time. And if for some reason I went back to being a teacher, I would almost certainly do the same thing again, that I, I would run that system on paper because there are cases where paper is just better. Like having a clipboard with a bunch of sheets arranged in a particular way, sometimes you're never going to beat that, like not even with an iPad. But but more importantly, there, there's two things that I did at the beginning of the year. It's, it's breaking down the organization system and doing the review. These are slightly different tasks. So in doing a big review, when I say here that I am using paper, that is paper in quotation marks, because I was actually using uh, good notes on my iPad with paper templates. Mm -hmm. So I actually worked with Frank, a designer that you have worked with for Relay, who is fantastic. And I knew I was going to be doing just a ton of this like thinking work for my seasonal review. And so I messaged Frank and I asked him to create for me a whole bunch of templates that were legal pad papers. Uh, so I had him <laughs> essentially Amazing. recreate from my childhood all of the possible paper templates a man could want. <laughs> and so I was like, listen, buddy, I'm going to be doing a bunch of writing and a bunch of thinking. I'm going to need some graph papers. I'm going to need some yellow legal paper. I'm going to need wide line. I'm going to need narrow line. I'm going to need them in blue and green and pink. And he ended up creating for me just a fantastic set of these papers, even added in a, a very extremely subtle, soft paper texture, uh, which, which was really nice. He's a professional, you know. He, he's, he's very professional. These things were just great. And this is a case where for thinking about stuff, Paper, I find this this useful tool that's hard to, in some sense, it's hard to say what's going on, but it allow it allows me to kind of like write out and sketch out some ideas. You have this this free formness to it. It's like you're not constrained into a particular application. Uh, and so when I was doing a bunch of the reviews and thinking about my workflow, it was really much a, a process of like I'm just going to sit here in this undisclosed location in Finiscandia, and I'm going to have this digital paper in front of me. All right. So, okay. You lost me just a touch here. Uh-huh. There was never actual paper. No, we'll get to the real paper, Mike. Don't oh, worry. There There's real, real paper. paper. We're going to get to that okay. in a minute, right? Okay, good, good, But good, I just want to, I want to specify, like, there's two different things here. Okay. So I'm sitting down with the digital paper, and I'm just kind of writing out and going through the seasonal review. A seasonal review has like a bunch of questions that I sort of ask myself and things that I'm thinking about. Um, but I do really like having the digital paper for this stuff because I, I do like to keep a record of the previous reviews that I have done. And so I want to be able to kind of sometimes go back and see like, what have I looked at in the past? Like what has been on my mind? And so I do like to have a, a, a record of this stuff. And there's an enormous amount of like sketching and other things that I'm doing that help with thinking through things. Uh, so something else that I did was like I, I by hand recreated a little overview calendar for the entire year. And I was using that to roughly plan out like when are things going to happen in the year? What are the periods of the year where I'm going to be busy? What are the periods where I'm not going to be busy? And this is a case where like doing it by hand, even though in, in some ways it's like, well, that's ridiculous. You could download a PDF that would have an overview calendar for the year and just fill that it in. It's like, yes, 
that's true, but there's something about doing it this way that is intentional, that it, it, it slows you down and it focuses your mind very clearly on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. So I find this just a, a ridiculously useful and very valuable process to kind of like rethink absolutely everything about what I am doing. And in the process of doing this, I realized that I wanted to rework my entire organization system, which brings us to the actual physical paper, Mike. Are okay. you happy? We, we, we get to the real paper at this point. I am very happy, but there's something mm-hmm. that I want to go back to. Okay. Tumbling across, I want to redo my entire organizational system is quite a revelation to have. <laughs> I, I just, I feel like I just have to point to that. Like, how do you get there? Well, like, that's not your run of the mill everyday kind of thought, which is like, I want to redo everything, especially as someone you really pay a lot of attention to this. Like, this is something that you've fiddled around with for an amount of time and to come to a place where you'd stuck to. Right. So, like, you know, over this show, we spoke about you moving to to do mm-hmm. away from OmniFocus and back to OmniFocus because it gave you what you needed with the right trade offs. And, and that was where you had stayed. And it really sounded like it, I'm there. I'm in it. GTD forever. I think there there is an undercurrent of GTD not working that great for me in the show when I do talk about it sometimes. Like this, this to me fits into this question of, though I didn't have the word for it at the time, the year of redirection. Mm. And so what's occurring here is as I was doing this big review and as I was spending a bunch of time concertedly focusing on, on how do I work, I was just thinking of a lot of the ways that in the previous year I had had frustrations or difficulties or like a lack of smoothness in a bunch of the ways that I work. And the thing that I was thinking about when I decided, okay, I'm going to start over and build up. It is like, I am still in this process now. Like I don't have a definitive answer for like, what have I built up to? I'm still very much in, in the middle of thinking about all of this and working on this, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm building up to something that is entirely new and different from whatever it is that I used before. It's like we mentioned last time when we were discussing talking with another person forces you to think about your reasons for why are you doing a thing. And starting over with like, how am I going to arrange my work? This, this is a way of like, oh, I've built up this castle, but let me, let me take it apart and let me, examine all of the individual bricks and then say like is this is this brick should this brick be here should this thing be replaced as we're building up to some kind of structure that we're going to live in let's re-examine the decisions that we made because maybe some of these things and i know for a fact some of these things are built on foundations that are years old at this point it's like do these assumptions still hold true is this still the best way to work for me now maybe maybe not so that so that's what this like rebuilding the system is. It's a it's a way to force a reevaluation of all of the parts. And yeah, it's not something that I want to do very often. <laughs> it's been a long long time since I've done something this extreme. Uh so yeah, it's it's just 
that that's what's occurring here. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Ministry of Supply. Whatever it is you have to wear to work, it almost certainly is not exactly something that you would want to wear all the time. It's uncomfortable, it's restrictive, it's too hot, or it's too cold. And by the end of the day, it's going to look terrible. Enter Ministry of Supply. They make performance clothes for the modern day workplace. Launched by MIT engineers, Ministry of Supply combines human-centric research, perform technology, and tailored designs to create wear-to-work clothes for men and women, like dress shirts, blouses, and pants. These garments work with your body to provide maximum comfort combined with features like temperature control, wrinkled resistance, and extreme stretch to give you a sharp, professional look all day long. This is what a clothing company should be. They're using technology to make clothing that actually is comfortable over the long period. I wear a bunch of Ministry of Supply stuff all the time, and if I still had to go into work as a teacher, you can bet I'd be wearing a fully Ministry of Supplied outfit every day, all day. I was always way too hot as a teacher, and the thing that I really like about tons of their shirts is that they keep you nice and cool. Their men's Ministry of Supply Future Forward dress shirt has NASA-invented fibers that regulate body temperature based on your surroundings. And they've also started with socks, too. The smarter dress socks are made of coffee fiber that wicks sweat and absorbs odor. Ministry of Supply offers free shipping, free returns, and a 100-day, no-questions-asked return policy. To find out more and to get 15% off your first purchase, go to ministryofsupply.com cortex. Or you can visit any of their nine retail stores in locations including San Francisco, Atlanta, and Chicago. Mention the show in-store and also get 15% off. So once again, go to ministryofsupply.com slash cortex to get 15% off your first purchase. Thanks to Ministry of Supply for keeping me cool, and thanks for supporting the show. Now let's talk about the paper. Okay, of course. You're know, you obsessed with the paper, Mike. You're obsessed with the paper. I'm not even going to ask you what pen and paper you were using, like physical stuff, because I know it's only going to upset me. I couldn't even tell you what I was using. This is why I didn't want to ask, because I figured you'd either say that or you'd tell me something that would just make me sad. Like, oh, what was in the hotel? Like, I don't... <laughs> I mean, that is that is the answer. Oh! <laughs> we went on a quest. I gave you pens, you know? Yeah, but you know, it's like, dude, it was in some other location, you know? I was, used, I was working with the tools that were available to me at the time, and it was fine. Did you just pick up the iPad that was there as well, right? Just whatever iPad they had laying around. <laughs> No, I brought, I brought my iPad Pro with me, yep. uh, and I was working on those beautiful templates that Frank made me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But no, for the actual physical paper, I, I used I used what was available to me, Mike. I, I couldn't even tell you what it was. Besides, it was a pen, and they were index cards and pieces of paper. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. That's fine. fine. Let's just move that's on fine. from that. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> so... At what point does actual paper have to come into this? You, you've clearly gotten to a point where, like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll get this digital paper. That will be better. But then mm-hmm. you still ended up coming back to physical pen and paper again. Okay. So, again, the, the digital paper is about the overall review. And the, the thing, one thing that falls out of this is rework the organization system as, as part of this process. Like, there's many other things that fall out of the overall review, but this is just one of those things. Now... 
why am I using actual physical paper to try to rework the system? It's because just like just like the digital paper kind of frees you from a bunch of the constraints, like you can sort of do whatever you want with it. When I'm working with physical paper, it's the similar thing of like I'm trying to write down what like what are the things that are on my mind? Like what are the things that I'm trying to work towards? And what I ended up doing is like having a bunch of index cards and pieces of paper and just sort of like what I'm trying to do is put the work in front of me so that I can see it all, right? That I can like look at everything all at once and think about how do I want to arrange this kind of thing? And though I am a man with many iPads, there are not enough iPads in the world and it's not convenient enough to be able to have like a table where there's seven iPads in front of me where I've written a bunch of things. Like with actual paper, you can really spread out and then try to move things around and like organize stuff and say, oh, does this go over here? It's a it's a way of thinking visually and and thinking physically, like rearranging items and 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 moving things. So this is the huge advantage of using actual physical paper for for this kind of thing. I also think it's a big advantage that if you don't know what it is that you want to do, you can't answer the question, what tool is best for accomplishing this task? And so many of the times when we have discussed in the past task managers or similar tools, it becomes very much a question of like, what are the features of this task manager? What can it do versus what other task managers can do? You know, the joy of switching from one task manager to another is really a process of learning how the programmers of the task manager want you to arrange all of your things. Yep. And like anytime you use any task manager, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter how fantastic it is. There is some process of you need to mold your mind to the way the programmer thinks it is sensible to organize information. It's just, it's just fundamentally unavoidable. And that, that is also why I always say like there is an infinite market for task managers because everybody thinks in a slightly different way and everybody wants a slightly different set of features and the market can always accept another task manager for whom some portion of the audience will say, oh, that is perfect for me. It does this one thing in this way that is just right for my brain. So putting all of the work on paper is, is a way to avoid that. It's, it's a way to try to think about how to organize stuff without feeling constrained by things like, ooh, does this task manager support start dates? How does this thing handle recurring items? It's like that, that's down in the weeds. That's down in the details. And I'm trying to think about it from a much higher level of like, what okay. is the thing that I'm working on? What am I trying to achieve here? So I'll just say at this point that I am in Todoist now, which is something I've been talking about for far too long. Mm-hmm. The process of moving the tasks was horrific. I, I can only imagine. Because it has to be done manually. Of course. Um, and there are things that I like about it and there are things that I don't like about it. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest things that I don't like is exactly that around something like recurring tasks. Mm-hmm. It has the functionality for them, but doesn't really have the UI for it. Mm-hmm. You have to write it in 
in the language that it understands. Yeah, I've seen that. There are nuances to that language. And everyone that I speak to that uses Todoist is like, once you learn the language, you're good, which I totally appreciate. Mm-hmm. And it is that language that I think will be the ultimate reason that I stick with Todoist, because the idea of natural language processing or not necessarily natural language, but being able to speak to the application is valuable for me. It's why I don't imagine ever moving away from Fantastical, because I know how to type into Fantastical the appointment. Right, right. And I love that. Mm -hmm. And Todoist has that feature. I'm still getting my head around it, but it is, I think, what will keep me there because I am able to talk to Todoist and say to it, I want to set this task at this date. And I'm now using projects, which I've never used before, because it's really easy to add those because you just type them in. Mm -hmm. So in a way to try and see if categorizing this. And honestly, I think the time tracking has helped me think about projects in my to-dos. And I'm trying Hmm. to match those up and seeing what that looks like, like giving things the same kind of names. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's going to result in yet, but I feel like that there could be something there that helps me kind of compartmentalize my work a little better. I'm still playing around with the automation. I've signed up for Zapier. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to come back to that at some point in the future. Yeah, that's a big thing. That's a whole thing. But Zapier is a service like If This Then That, which allows you to connect web services together. But Zapier is... Very powerful and a lot more powerful than if this than that. More complicated, but more powerful, and it can do some interesting things. So I'm pl- I'm still playing around with all of that and trying to work out how Todoist can and and moving to Google Calendar and all of that stuff. That stuff is all still at play. Mm-hmm. But on a general day today, so I I have been running OmniFocus and Todoist in parallel to make sure that they're working the way that I expect. It's a huge thing to do. That is a fun phase in any transition. Like, this is all the kind of stuff I'm trying to avoid with paper. It's like, Jesus Christ, I don't want to think about this. But yeah, that is, that is a horrible phase where you're running two task managers because you want to make sure that the one isn't missing things that is still in the other one. Because right? here's the thing. I have an incredible level of trust in OmniFocus. Mm-hmm. Todoist has to win my trust. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. And and just in, you know, like even in the adding of tasks, I'd be like, has it really set that to think, do what I think it's set? <laughs> like I've asked it to do this every second Tuesday. Does it understand what that is? And like when adding the tasks, I was checking them off and seeing what date it would come up next. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm still in that process and it's a disgusting process to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of just the way that these things have to go because unfortunately there is no share. I really wish that a protocol like email existed for tasks. Yeah, yeah keep dreaming, buddy. It's never going to happen now because we're too far down the rabbit hole. Like, why would such a thing exist? It's, it's too late now. Yeah. But I really wish that something like that did exist so we could move to do applications as easily as we could move email apps. As ever, Anyone that's listened to the show for long enough will know that we love to do. Uh, so I am, I'm very interested in, in continuing this path of Todoist. And I think that once I am used to it, it really will be the, the natural language engine that keeps me there more than anything else that, that has already by far and away been the most interesting part of it. 
so far even more interesting than the automation, which was the thing in my brain as the reason. Mm-hmm. It was it was the kicker, and I think as time goes on and I integrate the automation, that will become a second pillar of why Todoist is is superior for me. I hope, but the, the, me just being able to type in and also with using the Amazon Echo dictate tasks mm. with this natural language engine, I think will become the reason that I stick with it. But it's it's I'm still very much in the I wouldn't even call it honeymoon phase basically me and todoist have moved in together uh-huh. and currently we're finding the things that annoy uh each other about each other we are in that phase right now and, and mm-hmm. we're currently just trying to find some common ground on some things oh mike i understand i understand your pain here i really really do <laughs> yeah it's like everything i'm doing is trying to avoid this for as long as possible before I, I do like a which tools am I switching for thing because this is it is such an enormous hassle uh it is it is always a a rejiggering your brain to thinking the way the other thing works it is a process of of regaining trust in another it's yep it is no fun it is no fun to do it's a thing you want to do as as rarely as possible you're living in fear for a while <laughs> yes yeah that is an excellent way to put it. Mm-hmm. It's like what what terribly important thing is not going to happen because I switched from OmniFocus to Todoist. What is it? You know, is it that I just forget to show up for something, or do I forget to send in my tax return? Yeah. Like, what is it that it's going to make me do? Yeah, or I, I have I know I have things in my various to do applications that are sometimes years out. Right, like a, a yep. remind me in two years kind of thing. It's like it's really hard to make sure that you have all of those bases covered. <laughs> Luckily, my total amount of of items is about fifty items. Mm-hmm. You know, as we've spoken before, I try and run my to do manager as lean as possible. Mm-hmm. So, so that is good. I can only imagine for you it is more than that. Um, I don't know by by what factor, but I imagine it is more. Um, and and I know that many people listening will run their to-do uh, apps very differently to the way that I do, right? And, and we'll, we'll have more. And, and I could have more, but I try my best to, to not do that. Mm-hmm. And there are other little things I still need to get used to. Like I haven't changed over some of the templates that I made, but I know I can do that. But that's more work that needs to be done. Um, and, you know, another thing about all of this is I just really hope that to-do is sticks because otherwise I need to do this all over again going back yeah that that's the dread is is doing it in reverse again if it doesn't work because i have done this with todoist before mm-hmm. but my reason at that time was todoist notifications of alarms like of, of notifying you of a task was really bad their implementation of it but they fixed that now so that and, and i didn't know that until it was too late <laughs> right but I have enough people that I trust that I know are incredibly productive people that use Todoist now mm-hmm. that I'm willing to, to to go back to it. Today's episode of Cortex is brought to you by FreshBooks. Life as a freelancer can be a challenging thing. If you're self-employed, it can be tricky to just keep on top of all the projects that you've got going on. Maybe you're rebuilding your task system. Maybe you're prepping for a meter later on in the afternoon. Or maybe you're getting ready to take a trip up to the mountains or to some secluded area somewhere to work. It doesn't matter what it is. Lives, being a freelancer is a busy 
thing. And our friends over at FreshBooks believe that these rewards are worth it, even though it is so challenging. So they build tools to make it easier for all of us. And it really does make it easier for me. Like I use FreshBooks. We've used FreshBooks since day one of FM. We sent over 900 invoices. We're approaching our 1,000th invoice sent with FreshBooks. And every single one of those is out of the door in less than 30 seconds because it is so easy to go into FreshBooks and to just fill out one of their invoices, which all look fantastic. There's a WYSIWYG interface to build them all together. Exactly how you see them being built is 100% how your clients are going to see it in their inbox. The working world has changed. So FreshBooks has redesigned their platform to make it even better for the people that work online. You're going to be able to be more productive and organized whilst also being paid quickly. FreshBooks customers actually get paid up to four days faster because it's so simple and so easy to implement a myriad of payment options. No more guessing games about who has seen your invoice because you'll be able to see exactly when you get a nice little breakdown of where that invoice is, who's seen it, who's opened it, even who's printed it. So you can know when it's in the system at your client and they're getting everything paid out for you. So you don't need to send them any chaser emails. FreshBooks has a great notification system that you can think of as your personal finance assistant. Every time you log in to FreshBooks, you'll get an update on what's changed with your business and what is there that needs your attention. All of these features are coupled in with a beautiful redesign which focuses on simplicity and clarity. FreshBooks is focused on the age-old question of how is my business doing, and that is presented clearly to you. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to listeners of this show. Just go to freshbooks.com slash Cortex and enter Cortex in the How You Heard About Us section so they will know that you came to them from this show. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for their support of Cortex and Relay FM. So this brings us to the types of to-do applications that are available. And you touched on this a little bit about the fact that there are kind of like a couple of different strains that you can go here. You can go basic or you can go advanced. So I thought of a couple of examples to set the stage, Greg. Okay. So I was thinking about like, you know, so maybe some of the ones that we've spoken about over time and and kind of what these applications are and then some of the, the features that go into them. Mm-hmm. So you have basic applications, basic applications like reminders, um, clear, Google Tasks or Google Keep. Mm-hmm. So these are basically more along the lines of keeping a list and maybe, not always, maybe setting a due date to those items. Many people don't set due dates to items. They just have lists, which is a perfectly valid way of doing things. And it's just about kind of the way that you work and the way that you need things. And then you have advanced applications, applications like OmniFocus, uh, to do and to doist and they bring with them things like automation mm-hmm. uh, functions with them to make reviews of your work uh, forecasts like where you can see multiple days at once mm-hmm. and then maybe something like deferring tasks as well and you can kind of live anywhere on this spectrum like i maybe run my to do application more in the basic camp but choose to use an advanced tool mm-hmm because I like to have, if I want it, things like automation and APIs so, so other applications can talk to my to-do app, which is the, you know what, what pushed me down this road, um, and forecasts, which I really like. So I can see multiple days at once and can kind of plan out what's coming over the next seven days. But I don't do a lot of the stuff that you might do when it looks like maybe running from a more GTD system. You know, mm-hmm. there are so many of those things that I don't, 
do, like right. deferring and, and things like that, which mm-hmm. you need an advanced application for. So I I feel like I maybe have a more basic system, but want to use an advanced application so I can pick and choose from the things that I want to use. But something like reminders is, is too simple for me to yeah. just have this one long list that I always have to look at or these multiple lists. Like I, I just don't find reminders um, or clear or something like that to be a robust enough application for me. So it is abundant that you have in the past needed an advanced application for your advanced system. Do you have a feeling for where you might be falling now that you've sat down and looked through some of this? It's an interesting question. Like, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting time that you're asking me because I, I don't have a solid answer. Sure. I would much prefer to do the show when I feel like I, I, I am coming with an answer. And here, here's the thing that I have discovered. What I'm doing with paper and what I'm thinking about with my tasks in this way is trying to feel the outlines of what have I been dissatisfied with and what am I trying to do in the future? And so on a, on a very big level, when I think about how I am refocusing this year is being aware of one of the things that I found kind of draining with using like a very advanced system in OmniFocus is that there was not any end to the system ever, right? Like there was sort of no sense of completion because I had an enormous number of things in OmniFocus and I had them tracked very, very precisely. And it's like, okay, this is great. This is a system that grew out of my previous systems over a long period of time. But when I'm sitting here with pieces of paper trying to think about how do I want to work, this is a problem that I feel like, ah, I've identified something here, which is a lack of a sense of completion, right? Which is also something that my old system that I used to use when I was a teacher was a, a part of that that I was really aware of, of building into that you know when the day is done because this part of it is complete, the end. It's like, ah, oh, okay, this is an interesting thing to realize that I've worked myself into a system that doesn't have that. And that's a feature that I used to have and that I find very important and very helpful. Would you say that maybe there was something in the structure of your work now that, that doesn't inherently have that end? Like when the kids go home, mm-hmm. there's maybe a couple of tasks left. And then that's it, right? Right. So this is this is exactly like I'm I'm very I'm very much of the, of the belief like things happen because of like the structure in the world, right? So wh- like why did my system as a teacher have a clear end? Because there was a clearer way to end things as a teacher, right? And and like why did the system that I built up over years as a self-employed person not have any kind of end? It's because well, it's this is this is the nature of the work, right? This is this is the nature of what it is that I'm doing. There isn't any end. There's always more that can be done. It's like, okay, well, uh, after doing this for a large number of years, I'm realizing I don't like this so much. And so in redirecting how my work is going to unfold over the next year, part of what I'm really trying to do is building in regular, distinct, clear breaks and trying to really stick to those as much as is possible. Like, we'll see how it actually goes, but that's the that's the idea. And so what I was thinking is, well, whatever system I build up, I want it to be able to support this. I, I want to have some kind of 
clear end or sort of cycle within the system. So this is an example, like what are the things that I'm trying to identify around the edges? And that's one of these things that I'm trying to identify around the edges is like, can I build up something that creates a sense of completion that can also work with the schedule for what I'm trying to do over the course of the year? And so it's funny, Mike, because you you have this list of, of like applications in the show notes of the various to-do managers and what are they like and, you know, what various features do they have? Uh, but the thing that I have been playing around with a little bit, just not even with the intention of using it as a primary task manager, but just simply because like, oh, this is the digital tool that most closely replicates the paper. Let me just play around with it a little bit is actually using uh, Trello, which I don't know if you've ever used or tried. I use Trello a lot. Oh, do you? Mm-hmm. Okay. How would you describe Trello to the listener? Because I'm not, I'm not, a, I feel like I am the worst person in the world to describe this tool because I think I'm using it in a way that nobody intends it to be used. Trello is built from the process of Kanban. Mm-hmm. If you are familiar with that, Mm-hmm. So if you know what that is, you can immediately visualize Trello. If you're not familiar with it, which many of you would not be, I wasn't until I used Trello for the first time. Imagine that you have a bunch of tasks and you write all of the tasks down on index cards. Mm-hmm. And you have a process that you need to go through to get a task to be complete. So you line up all of your tasks and they're at the starting line. And the process can be written out into columns. So you can have part one, part two, part three, and part four. And you move each task across the columns so it moves from left to right. And then it is complete. Mm -hmm. That is like the easiest way that I would describe how this type of Trello system would work. In that what you are doing is taking things and moving them around from place to place. And as they're being moved, you can update them, you can add information to them. But the idea is that you get them from the start line to the finish line. Mm -hmm. And you do that by visually moving them through this process, moving them from column to column. And they can move backwards and forwards depending on how you set up the columns. Mm -hmm. But they're always moving through. So the way that I use Trello a lot is, is for the sale of a sponsorship. So Stephen set this up when I told him that I feel like I didn't have a good visibility for how sponsors were sold through our process. And uh, and I wanted to work with him so we could understand it a bit better together. And he created this thing in Trello. So every sponsor is a card. So they're their own little card. So you know, imagine that each sponsor is an index card. And we move them through our process from initial contact made to if we're progressing to a sale and then if we've sold. So that is what I use Trello for a lot. We also use it for uh, when we're setting up big events, and we also use Trello for goals when we're setting goals, and even for our assistant. So when we're looking at trying to hire an assistant, we have a Trello board for that, and we have all of the different tasks that we may want them to do, and when they might do them, and if it's the right person, and all of that sort of stuff. So me and Steven use Trello a lot to plan big picture stuff for the business. I didn't realize I was speaking to such a Trello expert. I, th- I thought you might have like a passing familiarity with it, but I was like, oh, Trello, I have 20 of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I have all the great Trellos. 
So there you go. That's what I use Trello for. And um, considering the fact that you were using index cards, I'm not surprised that you're using something like Trello. Yeah, again, I wouldn't even say that I'm using it. I'm just playing around with it. Sure. But yes, it's an interesting thing to play around with because not entirely, but it does largely avoid the problem of like learning a specific task manager because it just simply doesn't do most of the things that most task managers do. And it is very malleable. Yeah, it's very malleable. And importantly, it's very visual. So I was like, okay, let me move these things around. And so I've been going through this process of sometimes working on paper, putting things in Trello, sometimes rearranging things in Trello, and then sometimes writing it out all again on paper just to think about like, ah, let me let me yeah. mess around with this. Like it's a it's an iterative cycle back and forth thinking about how to best organize my work. Yeah, but Trello is is really good to use if the work that you're doing has a process that is not dictated by Trello itself. Yeah. Like there is an external process that has to happen and Trello can support that. So like for, for creating YouTube videos, the process can just be the different stages in which they are. And if you're working on multiple YouTube videos at a time, you can move them through from process part to process part, you know? Yeah, it's it's relatively free form compared to most other things, uh, which I, I would say is like both its strength and its weakness. Uh, but it's it's an interesting thing to play yeah. around with. Uh, I, I know a while back I had sort of messed with it a little bit just as an interesting tool to look at and, and never really thought about it much since then. Yeah, it was recently acquired. So <laughs> oh, that is oh, a concern. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just like, oh, the acquired news. Wah, However, wah, it was wah. acquired by a company that would feasibly want the system that it is. Yeah, but you know. But they may just change their business model. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? All we know is it's acquired. Yeah. But yeah, so it's it's an interesting tool just to check out. And it's a thing that I've been I've been thinking about. And I stumbled upon it because as I was trying to work through my system, I, I did just keep thinking of some stuff that I have mentioned in the past as, as having looked at, but I, I spent a lot of time very seriously looking at, uh, which is Scrum, which is a, a, a working process that is clearly designed for teams, is, is not at all designed for individuals, uh, but has some interesting parts to it that feel like oh maybe this could work with the way that i want to work uh and it, it it involves things like having clearly defined start and end times for particular batches of work which is a feature that i'm i'm looking at and the other thing i, w I was really aware of when i was thinking about how have i worked in the past and the one thing that having like a a list of tasks that are falling out of templates that doesn't that doesn't serve so well is coming up with realistic estimates for how much can you do at a particular time and and this is something else that like a the process of scrum attempts to do again with one person it doesn't work very well at all it's designed for teams but it's something that i've just been thinking about like oh are there are there pieces of this that I can adapt for individual use for the way that I want to work. Uh, and so like, this is another thing I spent some time on, you know, I, I read a couple of uh, books on scrum and just again, very, it's very funny to, to read a book uh, 
that's like designed for a gigantic corporation of like, how does this gigantic corporation arrange their many multiple teams across entire systems? And it's like, I'm just trying to read through it and see like, is there something here that I can pull out for myself? But it's through, through that process of like, okay, Scrum is this process. Uh, it uses tools like Trello. Let me just play around with Trello. Let me just explore this a little bit while I'm in this, this building up phase. So that's where I am with my current state of things. I do have to say, I, I feel a bit like I am a, like I'm on a tightrope without a net because I'm not using any of my regular systems. Like I, I really did burn everything yeah. down to the ground. So are you like actually using no app right now? Like other than Trello tinker around with? At the moment, I am literally using nothing uh, except like some index cards and some Trello tinkering, but it it is a a very temporary phase. Like this doesn't last forever, because this is this is partly like going back to the the idiot pre any system me who like I'll just remember the things that I have to do, uh, which is a terrible strategy. It's horrible. It's an absolutely horrible strategy, and I'm not really doing it. But it's like okay, I mostly have three big things to keep in mind, like the next video, the next Hello Internet, the next Cortex, right? These, these are the three main things that I really need to keep track of. And so I can run on that for a little while while I think about how does the rest of this system work. Okay. Uh, and I think that it is, it is genuinely beneficial to do this because it, it is just this finding the edges of like, what, what do I need? What do I need to do? I, 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 have, I have a little bit of, of support in the fact that before doing this, I moved some basic reminder things into to do. So there, there's like maybe 20 little recurring items in to do. Then just like, I'm always going to forget this stuff. Like this is just the bare minimum. It might as well be reminders. Yeah. And I guess between that and your calendar, like you, you, you're getting through without the, the big system supporting it all. Exactly. And what's also funny is like, just by using to do and by using a calendar, I'm already using more tools than like many people I know use to really work. Uh, but, sure. but like from my relative perspective, it's like, this is a precarious situation here. So I am, I am just, I am just playing around with these things and, and trying to figure out what is it that I ultimately want to build up to. And my current state is I'm, I'm trying to pull out the useful parts of systems like Kanban, the useful parts or the still relevant parts, I should say, of getting things done and trying to see if there's a way to like adapt Scrum to sensible individual use. But I would be I would be very curious to hear from anybody in the audience if they have any other kind of like actual systems that they use or that they care to recommend. Like I'm in a very open accepting feedback time of my system so i'd be curious to see if anybody has any thoughts on any systems leave links in the comments and i will definitely check things out and spend a bit more time exploring today's episode of cortex is brought to you by dice dice has been helping tech professionals advance their careers for more than 20 years they have the tools and insights needed to give you an edge the dice careers mobile app is the premier tool to manage your tech career from anywhere with thousands of positions from top companies available you'll find the next move that you're looking for wondering what's next in your career dice's new career pathing tool will help you learn about new roles based on your job titles and skills they'll even show you which skills that you're going to need to make the move the dice career 
careers market value calculator allows you to understand exactly what your skills are worth as well. Discover your market value based not only on your job title and location, but based on your specific skill set. Look, don't just look for a job. Manage your technology career with Dice. Download the Dice mobile app and learn more at dice.com slash Cortex. Thank you to Dice for their support of this show and Relay FM. It is that time again, CGP Grey. Ask Cortex. We turn to our audience of amazing people. Hello, audience. Hello, audience. And these are people that submit their questions to me on Twitter with the hashtag AskCortex, or they leave comments in our Reddit thread, um, and they go through and they will give me some questions that they would like for us to discuss on the show. And we will start off today with Philophus ask what our sleep schedules are like do you have particular times that you aim to go to bed or wake up what are those times why those times (laughs) and what effect does this have on your productivity when you're observing them well you live on east coast time don't you mike isn't that your sleep schedule i live on mike time now i don't even i don't even anymore (laughs) what is what does that mean that you live on mike time because it's just adapted and warped so much. Mm-hmm. Like, I originally thought I was going to be living on East Coast time, but it hasn't really turned out to be that way. Hmm. I go to sleep between 12 a.m. and 3 a.m. Oh, God. And I wake up between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Oh. But those times do not match up in the way that you would think that they might. <laughs> For example... (laughs) All right, I I see immediately what you're going for here, yeah. Uh I went to bed at 2 a.m., I I think, last night, about 1.32 a.m., somewhere between there, uh, and I woke up at 8.20 today. But the day before, I went to sleep, I think, at like 1.30, and I woke up at 10. (sighs) Okay. It's all over the place. Um, I have expressed to you the last time that we met up that I'm becoming more interested in sleep tracking as well. Mm-hmm. And this is something that is on my radar to try and find the tool or tools that work for me to allow me to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know what effect <laughs> sleep has on my productivity, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, because my thesis is that it doesn't. Purely because... As it stands right now, my sleep schedule is so erratic Mm -hmm. and my productivity is not very erratic, is at least the way that I feel about it. Because for me, it's more like time. Like, I don't feel like I'm like, oh, I wasn't very productive today. It's just, oh, I didn't spend much time working today or I spent a lot of time working today. And as we've already established, a lot of the amount of time that I spend working is not like... How inspired was I that day? Because I worked so strictly to a schedule. So there is a quality aspect that can't be judged by time. So that's like a whole other thing, which is really difficult to to, to try to nail down. But there is an inverse that I'm interested in, which is if I work longer hours, do I wake up later the next day? Mm -hmm. That's the only thing I'm interested in learning right now. I recommend to you an app which is called Autosleep. Uh, which is a thing that I have been using to track my sleeping time based just like the time tracker toggle from the recommendation of Federico Vitici. I don't know if you're aware, Mike, but that guy's pretty good for recommending things. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I live a lot of my life based upon the recommendations he gives me. Yeah, so I, I've been using Autosleep, uh, and the, the app does a lot of things with regard to sleep. But the only, the only thing I care about, really, which is what it does, is it does a pretty good job of estimating just the length that I was asleep. When did I go to bed and when did I wake up? And I, I want to track this because for, for the longest time, I, I used to use an app called Sleep Cycle to do the sleep tracking. But that suffered from the effect of I needed to turn it on before I went to sleep and turn it off when I woke up in the morning. And here is the thing that I definitely know from looking at that sleep data, is when I need the sleep data the least, is when I'm able to record it the most. So when it's like, I am bang on my schedule, everything's going great, I'm waking up at the exact same time every morning, I'm having a nice productive day, I'm going to sleep at around the same time. It's like, yeah, I've got tons of data for, for like, Perfect rock solid every day is the same data. And then there'll be periods where there's like, there's no sleep data recorded whatsoever. And it's like, but that's when I want the sleep data the most. Because those are the periods of time where my sleep is less regular. I'm like staying up later, which is terrible for me. And then I'm sleepy and I forget to turn the app on. And then I'm not paying any attention to when I wake up in the morning. So it's like this inverse correlate. Like I have data about my sleep over the past year, but all, all it indicates to me is like, there's some gaps, which were probably not great times. Uh, and so I really prefer and like having something that just does it automatically so I can keep an eye on this kind of stuff. The reason that I do want to keep an eye on it is is simply because I am really aware that that the sleep cycle has a tremendous amount to do with how productive I am. And uh, like... If, if I fall out of a regular sleep cycle, that's a thing I really want to be aware of and really want mm-hmm. to keep an eye on uh, because that, that really matters for me. And so uh, when I'm in sometimes the process of rebooting and, and like getting back into a productive phase, one of the primary things that I am focusing on is like boot yourself back into a regular waking cycle. And that that has a, a huge effect on the rest of my day. So, what are those times? What are those ideal times? Uh, okay, my my ideal wake up time is is sometime between five thirty and six a.m. is is my ideal oh. wake up time. And <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I'm an old man getting sleepy at nine p.m. Right, and and like probably asleep by ten o'clock. Okay. You know. Right. Okay. <laughs> like enough. lying to himself about like, oh, I'm going to read a book before I fall asleep. Right. But a- actually like falling asleep immediately uh, is, is the usual nighttime. Like, I'm going to read a book. No, I'm not. I'm going to lie to myself that I'm going to read a book and I'm just going to fall asleep immediately. Uh, which is also why I'm, I'm a terrible dinner companion because people are like, let's have dinner. It's like, okay, great. I'm like I made, a, I made an appointment at eight. It's like, oh, like eight o'clock at night at night like you gotta can be kidding me can we go for the early bird special is <laughs> yeah. that a thing we can do yeah exactly you know I, like i want to meet you in the afternoon you know mike like if we ever socialize like when do we socialize 2 p.m in the afternoon Two o'clock in the afternoon. But that's yeah, my that perfect like, it's great that's my perfect time like if everything's going great I've, I've done all my work in the morning and now you get me for the afternoon time when i'm not going to get any work done anyway and it's nice and early like that's when i want to socialize with people 2 p.m and nobody else in the world wants to socialize at that time. But uh, 
But, you know, for, for me, that that's a bigger thing. Like maintaining the regular sleep schedule, it's a big deal. And I have found that earlier is is definitely better by like a huge order of, of magnitude in terms of actual productivity. Previously on the show, I recommended the Retro 51 Tornado as a pen. Oh, this is your pen thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Brian has wrote in to ask, what is the fountain pen equivalent of this? Is this, so, is this the pen addict all of a sudden? What happened here? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Look, every now and then, I want to throw one in for me. Okay. You know? this, is, this is just for my enjoyment right now. Mm-hmm. So, Brian, um, I would recommend the pen that you have already pointed out that uh, your partner is using. And this is part of the reason that you want to do this, is to buy your partner a gift. Uh, I would recommend the pen called the Pilot Metropolitan because it is a cheap pen. It's a cheap fountain pen and it works great. But if you want to go a little bit more than this, I would recommend for you a Twisby Eco mm. as a next move up. I will put links in the show notes to these. That's a good call. And I also, this is a pen that, thank you, this is a pen that takes ink. Like you need a bottle of ink for this. And I will also put a link to a line of inks that I think work really well with this. It is uh, called the Pilot Hiroshizuku mm. line of inks. So they will all be in the show notes. And I will recommend to anyone listening to this show to try out either the Retro 51 Tornado, the Pilot Metropolitan, or the Twisby Eco if you have any care at all for pens because they are a fantastic trio. Yeah. Don't just use whatever pens they have in the hotel. Don't. Mike does not approve. You deserve better, listener. <laughs> you really do. R. Elvin asked, what did you both want to be when you grew up? Well, you wanted to be a professional podcaster, right, Mike? Only uh, from the age of like 20, 21, maybe. Oh, okay. But I had dreams as a kid, you know. What were your dreams, Mike? So I wanted to be a few different things. I did actually want to be a radio DJ, so... Okay, so essentially a podcaster, yeah. But that was when I was when I was really young. And then as I grew up a little bit, there were two two things that, that I really wanted to be. Uh, one of them was a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically for children with special needs was the thing that I was very interested in um, as a young man. I could see that. I could see that. It was something that I was I was very passionate about. But then kind of moved away from as I got older, just because I also became quite career minded, mm-hmm. and it seems like at least in teaching that you're quite boxed in to the amount of movement that you can take and advancement that you can take. There aren't a lot of paths, it seems. Yeah, that is that is definitely correct. And I just learned about myself as I grew up that I needed to be challenged and that I felt like I would run out of challenges before I then had to, to be something that maybe I wasn't interested in being, which was like a headmaster. Yeah, this this is actually a perennial problem at a bunch of schools is is retaining ambitious talent precisely because of that, that it's a, uh, like a, a very narrow pyramid to climb in only yeah. one direction. And, and very often people don't want to climb in that direction, but they, they want to continue advancing. And, and this is, this is definitely like a career problem that some teachers do uh, run up against. Then I wanted to be a police officer. That I cannot see. Thumbs down. I know. Right. Disagree. And this was the job that I had that I was something that I was sure I wanted to do until maybe I was like 17. It was something that I really wanted to do. And it wasn't that I wanted to be a beat cop, Mm -hmm. like patrol in the streets of London. Right, with your billy club. I wanted to be a detective. 
That's that's what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something, and it's still something I'm very interested in. Uh, I, I've I wanted to be a detective. I wanted to solve crimes. Hmm. I I cannot see. So that's that. my eclectic list cannot of see that, jobs. No, I am not physical enough to be a police officer. This was what I realized mm-hmm. in my life: is that there is a lot of it that I wouldn't be good at. So mm-hmm. I didn't. I did not pursue it. I'm not tough enough, basically. I think you're doing a better job as a professional podcaster than you would do as a police officer. Just going to put that out there. Thank you so much. <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I mean, I, when people ask this kind of thing, I, I feel like what this, what this question is asking is, what did the dumb kid version of you want to do? Right? And, and I, f- I feel like I have very little patience for most of this kind of stuff. Like when I was a kid, I had all sorts of dumb ideas about things that I wanted to do. But it's because you, as a kid, like you don't know anything about the working world, you know. And, and even even here, like into the teenage years, and I think I think this is the same thing. It's like, oh, Mike, you wanted to be a police officer, but like you haven't thought anything at all about what being a police officer really entails. I wanted to drive cars really fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Like this is yeah, this is this is like your idea when you're younger about what the working world is like, uh, and and so. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that like my parents tell me that younger me was interested in doing when he grew up. But I feel like I don't really care what that kid thought about anything. Uh, he didn't know anything about anything. But what did he want to do, though? Come on. Just, yeah, like, oh, it's, it's like, uh, what was one of the parents said, like, at, at some point I wanted to be a paleontologist, right? It's like, because I like dinosaurs and I haven't thought anything at all about what being a paleontologist is like. It's like, oh, you ride dinosaur skeletons all day, surely, being a paleontologist? is like, no, you're outside in the hot sun moving a toothbrush over a bone for hours if you're lucky, right? It's like, oh, no, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing. I, I think the first serious career that I had a somewhat reasonable idea about, uh, which is the same reason that I didn't go into it, was that when I was in college, I was really aiming towards being a college physics professor. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, this is a thing that I really want to do. And over the course of being at college was was a process of coming to the conclusion that, like, this is not a job that I would really want to do. There are parts of it that I would really want to do, like driving a fast car, but the actualness of becoming a physics professor, I realized like across every front is like, this is no, like this does not match up with me. Uh, It's like realizing that I am neither smart nor patient enough to do a PhD program. It's like, there's no way this is going to happen. I will lose my mind if I have to do this. Uh, Realizing I did, I ran at some point, I ran some numbers on, like how many PhD tenure track positions are there in the United States every year versus how many physics graduates are there? And it's like, whoa, these are terrible numbers. And just realizing like a bunch of things about myself as well. Like I just don't have the temperament to focus on a single task for three to six years. Uh, so, so all of this is what like turned me away from what I would say was the first seriously considered maybe actually possible thing that a younger version of me would have wanted to do when he grew up. Thomas wants to know, 
Did you ever get a VR headset? Uh, now, I got a PlayStation VR headset. I know you do. I did. really like it a lot. I know you do. There are some good games. There is not enough good games. I'm hoping for more good games in 2017. Mm-hmm. I have cast an eye towards Oculus a couple of times. Yeah. I like looked, looked over in that direction uh-huh. to go to the next level, but I've not yet gone to it Mm -hmm. there there's some stuff this year that i'm finding interesting like there are some smaller computers and some purpose-built computers that i've seen like there was some ces and stuff like that that i've just keeping my eye on Um, there is also like word of oculus trying to create their own all-in-one unit Mm -hmm. same as htc is doing the same also microsoft later this year will be showing off their next xbox which they've said we'll have VR capabilities. Microsoft have had a good partnership with Oculus. I'm wondering if that's where they're going to go down and Mm. then will they be able to support PC games? This is a, there is, I expect by the end of this year that I will have some other equipment in my house because you can never have enough. Never enough immersion in VR. What did you buy? (sighs) Okay, look, I have bought nothing because I think I need a new house before I can get a VR headset. Yeah, this is the problem. This is the problem. If you really want the the big the big equipment, it is difficult. I've used the HTC Vive. I have not spoken about this on this show, mm-hmm. and I think that it's a great system. But some of the things that are good about it are things that I don't like about it. And I like that you can move around, but every now and then I'll bump into something, and then that ruins the experience. Or I trip over the cable, and that ruins the experience. So it's a great system but I don't like it so much. And also, what everybody said that they loved were the controllers. Mm -hmm. But those controllers are not as good as the Oculus Touch controllers, and we had used those a long time before they came out, Mm -hmm. like six or seven months. So we were starting, I think, at a a better level, and I find the Oculus Touch controllers to be vastly superior to HTC's just in the way that they feel and the way that you use them. So I still maintain that my favorite system that I have used is the Oculus. Yeah, I mean, this is the problem. I have this feeling of like, go big or go home with VR. And there are some VR options, but but I just, I feel like that Oculus experience was just so good that I feel like I either want to wait for other systems to catch up to that, or I want to replicate that. And if I'm trying to replicate it at the very least, it's like, you know, this, this flat that I'm living in London is like, there is no, there is no place for this. And it, it requires a rethinking of everything in like our room, which is the kitchen and also the living room. And it's like, where, where would this go? This would go nowhere. Uh, so I, I, I do keep piling up a list of reasons why my wife and I maybe should move. And on that list of reasons, I would have space for new VR equipment is probably the least convincing item that is on there for her. Uh, but I feel like it is it is very convincing for me. <laughs> you need a mega office, man. Wait a minute. I'm going to disagree with you on that, actually, because I don't think you should have your VR headset in your mega office. I think you need you need clean, distinct, different contexts nope. Nope. for working. Video games are part of my work, Gray. That is lie you should not tell yourself that i have a video game podcast i have one yeah 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 i know mike but i I feel like that come at me that video game podcast exists to support this idea 
Mega Office serves two main roles <laughs> in this home. It is one where Mike can do work, and two where Mike can put all of the stuff that shouldn't be in the rest of the house, and this just becomes my space. I have a sofa. The sofa is perfectly positioned in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. That that works for you, but the the whole reason that I have an office that is outside of the house is I... I know I can't work like that. Like I, I need the different environments to be as clean and as clear as possible. So no, you can keep the outside of the house office, but then also have the inside of the house office, no. which has the VR equipment in it. No, that's not going to happen, Mike. It's not going to happen. <laughs> this is a life hack, my friend. No, it isn't. It's a terrible idea. CRC one twenty eight wants to know if I skip a YouTube ad, do you get anything for it? I don't know the answer to this. Oh, really? You don't know the answer? You, as a as a YouTube creator, you don't know. Hmm. Uh-uh. So, I think the short answer to this is no. If you have one of those YouTube ads where it's running down the little timer that says, you know, you can skip this in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. If you immediately press that, uh, the YouTube creator does not get a cut of the ad revenue. But the, it, there is a question of how quickly do you skip it? I don't know the exact boundaries, and I think they move them around sometimes, but there is a, a system of partial payouts depending on how much of a skippable ad you have watched on right. YouTube. Right. I expect it's a percentage probably, right? Yeah. I, I, whatever it is, is like, you know, they, they take 50% of the ad revenue if you watch 50% of the video, and then at 75%, they take all. There's There's something in that boundary, and I know that there's some lower boundary where there's like a small amount that is taken. But if you if you hit it on like exactly when it's up, it's count as a as an unwatched ad in the system, so you don't get any money for that. Okay, that's good to know. I've noticed a thing recently, which I think is kind of cool. I've seen a bunch of companies creating like three second ads. Oh yeah, I haven't actually noticed that. Yeah, I've noticed this from a few. Like either it's a a company that is just their entire YouTube ad is like five seconds long. Hmm. And there's nothing. It just carries. There's no skipping. It's just a five second ad. Hmm. So it's within the realms of what people will expect. I've also seen a couple of things where you'll see a company do a five second ad and then the thirty second ad, and the five second ad is is there to try and entice you. Ah, I see. Uh-huh. So that's I find that stuff really interesting. Like people playing with it, and I've been I watch more of those ads honestly because they grab me, and then I watch the thing. So. <laughs> If you are a company that makes ads, there you go. You you want my ad money. That's how you get it. <laughs> Five second ads. Thomas wants to know, what is Gray's spreadsheet program of choice and why? Ooh, um, I use Apple's numbers, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, in theory, I should be using Excel. Uh, a, long, a long time ago, I actually had a job that was essentially just using Excel professionally in a way. Excel is vastly more powerful. It can do a lot more. But for the spreadsheets that I use now, I use numbers because of two things. The The first is it does just look nicer. Like it takes a lot less effort to make a numbers spreadsheet look nicer. And the second thing, which I, I really love, and I can't believe Excel hasn't copied in some way, is the way that numbers allows you to have, you don't have to be working with a single infinite grid in all directions. You can just 
drop down a little mini grid and move it around. So it's, it's like you're working on a blank piece of paper. And you can have like multiple grids all over the place and like different. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And and that allowing you to rearrange things, I find hugely helpful for the sorts of spreadsheets that I want to create, where I'll have a bunch of I'm like, it's not programming or anything, but it's it's like I'll have a spreadsheet where I want to just put in some inputs and then get the outputs displayed in some different way. And it's like, yeah, I could do this with Excel and and you sort of fake it with hiding some of the cells, but it's just much nicer and much easier and faster to get it good looking if you can just drop down a little table and say, I want it to go exactly here. And then maybe I rearrange it later. I go, oh, no, I'll put it over there. It's, it's better in this spot. Uh, I, I just really like, I really like numbers for that. And it's a feature that I use a lot. Like a ton of my spreadsheets are a very large number of individual tables that I'm putting data into and, and rearranging in a way that I could do it with Excel, but it would be more of a pain in the butt to do with Excel, even if it is uh, the more powerful tool. And it, it definitely is a thing that I run into often-ish enough that there's something I would like to do that would be trivial to do in Excel, which numbers just simply can't. But I'm willing to take that that trade-off for the way that it, it looks and the way it's easily rearrangeable. Dylan wants to know, now that editorial has been updated for the iPad Pro, where are we standing? Have we already moved away to applications like OneWriter or Bear? Um, and if so, would we move back? So I have personally moved all of my writing of this kind to the iOS app Bear. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it's really nice and it works very well for me for, for writing what I'm writing, which tends to just be um, copy for our ads. I, I write that in Bear. Uh, I am not going to be switching back to editorial for for my work there, purely because I am concerned at the rate of advancement of the application. Um, I was on the beta, but it took a very, very, very long time for that app to come out of beta for this version. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm I'm going to stick with Bear for the time being. Yeah, editorial was my primary app for a very long time for doing the writing and. For the video scripts and for some other things that I write, I'm now using Ulysses as the primary app, which I don't think we've talked about very much at all. No. But Ulysses has some features that I really, really like. It's one of those apps that it, it like, I played around with it for a little bit and it, it takes a while to like change your mind a little bit to take full advantage of the way that this can work. And, and I have to say like the... Um, the rules for rulers videos that I did, those relied very heavily on some of the features that Ulysses has, where uh, if you're working with it the way it wants you to work, you can rearrange sections quite easily. Uh, you can see a little like outline of, of what it is that you're working on the side and move sections up and down. And I was doing that constantly on the on those videos. And that is a, a kind of feature that I have a very hard time now imagining using any kind of writing app that doesn't have some ability to do this, to to replicate information on the side and a quick ability to rearrange the sections. Uh, so, so that has become just an absolute vital feature and editorial doesn't have that. And there's also some stuff with Ulysses because it's working in... Uh, Dropbox, there's some fancy stuff that I don't really need to get into right now, but in the way that uh, 
my assistant can also have access to a subset of the things that I'm working on on Ulysses on her end through Dropbox and everything like syncs in a really nice way. Uh, but she doesn't have to have access to everything that I'm working on. Like there's some nice things that I can do with this app. So that's why it has taken the primary place as the, the app that I'm working in. And for everything else, I'm also using Bear as a kind of scratch pad or list maker or just for various miscellaneous things. I have to say, I'm, I'm really impressed with that app. I really like some of the color schemes and the way they arrange things. So th- those are the two apps that are my primary writing apps at this point. Adrian would like to know how your betrayal of the MacBook Adorable has what? been going. I didn't betray anything. And was the touch bar really worth this betrayal? It be- no, it betrayed me. It, it went up in a little puff of smoke. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is more a question of if I betrayed you is what's really coming out. Is Whatever really it is. coming out in this. There was a betrayal. <laughs> uh, and uh, has, it been, have you, has it been worth it for you? Do you use that computer? Yeah, I do use that computer. Um, it, it is useful for exactly the purpose that I intended it, which is for occasional mobile podcast recording and or editing. So was the MacBook. Yeah, but you're asking me if I'm using it for these things. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. I I use Mm -hmm. it for that. Um, I do have to say I really, I really, really like the second generation butterfly keys. Uh, I was always a defender of the Adorables keyboard. I think people didn't use it long enough to get used to it. And I really liked it. Uh, But the second generation keyboard is, is way better. And I really hope that Apple at some point updates their Magic Keyboard to use those same switches. Like I, oh, I think gosh. they're fantastic. Don't say that out loud. Why? Why? Because <laughs> just people have lots of opinions about their keyboards, and uh, I don't think people would 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 like to hear that. Well, I, I'm not interested in what they would like. <laughs> There's two sides of Apple here, which are probably warring with each other, which is the efficiencies of scale versus, boy, we sure don't want to retool any of our equipment. I think that's that's the battle that would be taking place over what is the next generation of the Magic Keyboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I would love them to. I would love them to go with the efficiencies of scale argument on that. Uh, I have to say, I, I really like it. Um, as for the touch bar... The lack of escape button is not really any problem. I find I, I hit that corner really easily every time I want to hit the escape button. I, I, it doesn't bother me that there's not a physical button there. I was expecting that to be a problem, uh, but it isn't. As for the actual touch bar, I feel like I, I still need to be convinced by some software implementation that this is a useful feature. It's funny because it actually strikes me as like the reverse of a pro feature. Whenever I pay attention to it, it it really feels like this is actually a feature for newbies where it's, it's trying to show to you and reveal to you aspects of the program that you might not be aware of. And I feel like for almost anything that the touch bar is showing me, there's a keyboard command that I already know that I'm going to use or the additional information that it shows is not really helpful it's just kind of flashy and show-offy so i actually think that the touch bar is a great feature for someone new to the mac Uh, like i'm not quite sure who that person would be um but um i I don't i don't think the way they sold it as like oh this is an amazing pro feature like i haven't seen that 
materialized on on my end. So uh, that's that's been my experience with the Touch Bar so far. Hmm. Silent sense of betrayal. Yep. Carrie wants to know what is your opinion on the Amazon Echo. I know you love the Amazon Echo. Uh huh. I have seen in person demonstrations of the Amazon Echo, which are very impressive about how it can hear you and the commands that everybody has it do. I have some some resistance to setting up a thing that is in another ecosystem, and I, f- I feel less convinced by the utility of it for me personally. Like I just I don't like talking to devices if I can. Like like when I'm controlling the lights in my house, sure I can talk to Siri to do that, but I much I much prefer pressing a button and just doing it that way. Uh, so a, a lot of the Amazon Echo stuff, it's like, yeah, I, I can see that that would be useful, but I always feel like I have some kind of mental resistance to talking as a form of computer interface. Like it's, it's not, it's not my go-to. I, how do you turn your lights on and off? Cause you have the hue lights, right? Yeah, I have the hue lights. So what, what is your interface for interacting with your hue lights? So the, the hue lights are connected into the Apple home system. Yep. So that that means on on any of the iPads or on my phone, I can use the control panel mm-hmm. to toggle the presets that I have. So I, yep. I you know, I haven't said a whole bunch, but there's like six buttons for the various ways that I want most of the lights. Okay. Or the thing that happens really often is I I have it depending on the watch face I'm using. I either have the home button on my watch face or it's always in the dock of my watch. And so that's the other way that I'll adjust the lights is by doing that. And it's like I I know that under this circumstance it would often be faster and easier to be able to just speak out loud to the Alexa to ask it to change the lights instead, but it's, it still doesn't get over this this like mental resistance that I feel to talking out loud to a computer. Like I I, I will always prefer the silent interface if it's an option, and I, I feel like voice commands for me are a a mental uh, last resort. Okay. That's interesting, because I'm definitely the reverse for my hue lights, hmm. and and it's the same for Adina as well. We just walk around the house and ask for the lights to be turned on in the rooms that we're going into. I mean, to be fair, my wife would probably greatly appreciate it if I did set up an Alexa, because she is obviously preferring voice interface, and she tries to talk to Siri to change the lights, which I can only describe as a perpetual exercise and frustration right see this is the thing with the echo it is a surprise if it doesn't work yeah and with siri i have found it to be the inverse yeah siri is terrible at this kind of stuff maybe you should just get one but i have no use for it you know so i'd be the person setting it up it's really not hard to set up i'm really trying mostly to convince her to use the silent interface instead (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just press the button. It works when you press the button every time. But I, I think this is also just a general problem with with Siri. <laughs> just just the other day, I heard this thing, which which was it was so frustrating to listen to. But my wife was in the shower and she was trying to ask Siri to record a reminder for later. <laughs> and it's like Siri could hear, like I could hear her go like, "Hey Siri," and then. The phone would wake up and she would try to talk to it. 
and it wouldn't get and i must have heard her try to do this thing 10 times and it's like i couldn't bear to hear it anymore like i just i had to go in there like I, let me just type it in for you like i'm so sorry that you've had this experience with siri trying to listen to you it's like it's i understand you're in this like you're in the shower it's, it's trying to hear you over water it's not an optimal situation but it was a thing that i was thinking like i'm pretty sure an amazon echo would get this no problem uh it depends it depends. Like, so we have our Echo in our kitchen. Mm-hmm. And if we have the extractor fan going full blast, mm-hmm. it can take a couple of tries to get mm-hmm. it to, to hear you. Hmm. But once it's heard the wake word, it does a pretty good job. But sometimes you have to really give it a shout to get it to wake up. Hmm. Hmm. There, is a, there is a problem that all of these machines have with white noise. But I will say that that the Echo is the best that I have found, primarily because it is a canister full of microphones. Yeah. Right? So that's why it does a better job. But it it can still struggle. But I would say that it probably would do a better job in that scenario than Siri would have, honestly. Let's just say there was definitely some shouting at Siri. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. There was was some shouting to be had. (laughs) But, you know, I will say that I have been in the office and I have heard curse words said towards the echo in the kitchen. (laughs) Like, it happens and I do it too. It happens. 